As we continue our series, The Gospel in Stained Glass, inspired by our sanctuary windows, we turn our attention to scripture. Today's reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. First, however, let us pray together. Gracious God, send your spirit upon us that we would set aside every distraction and hear only your voice. Enable us to hear this familiar story with new insight and energy. Direct our lives and inspire our hearts, we pray. Amen. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. But then he came to himself and he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare and here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and he went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years, I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when his, this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I imagine you've heard the story before. There was a man who had two sons. Marcia and Linnea, they read the story beautifully for us, and I'm particularly grateful for that this week because it's a very long story. 
But to understand it in all its fullness, we actually have to read even more of chapter 15 of Luke's Gospel. You see, the religious leaders of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were grumbling amongst themselves. They were upset because Jesus was welcoming sinners. He was even going so far as to sit down at a table with them and share a meal with them. They could not understand or abide by this behavior. And Jesus overheard their response, and so he told them a story. He told them the parable of a shepherd who had 100 sheep and who discovered that one has been lost. Leaving the other 99 behind, the shepherd goes searching for that one sheep. And when he finds it, he lays it across his shoulders and carries it all the way home, rejoicing along the way and calling to his friends and neighbors to come and join in the celebration. And then, barely pausing to take a breath, Jesus launches into a second story, another parable, this time about a woman with ten silver coins. Now, to put that in terms we understand today, ten silver coins translates roughly to about one day's labor. It's not an enormous amount, but it's not an insignificant amount either. And so when she discovers that she has lost one of the coins, she lights a lamp and sweeps the house, searching carefully in every corner and opening every drawer and peering underneath every rug, not resting until the coin is found. And then just like the shepherd, she calls to her friends and neighbors to come and celebrate with her, quite possibly spending far more than the value of that one coin on the festivities. That's when we finally get to the parable of the prodigal son, which, as I've come to understand it, is really more properly understood as the story of the lost family. Emmy Kegler, in her book, One Coin Lost, she really opens up this whole series of stories in a new way. As she understands it, Jesus tells us a parable about a lost sheep a parable about a lost coin, and a parable about a lost son who leaves home, a lost son who stays home, and a lost father who struggles to reunite his broken family. Taken all together, Jesus is affirming what we already know in our hearts. There's more than one way to be lost. You know that, don't you? It was back in my early 20s when I lived out on the West Coast. Some friends and I spent a week in Zion National Park, and each day smaller groups of us chose different day-long activities. So one day a few of us set out on a what should have been a relatively short hike through canyons and riverbeds. It shouldn't have taken us more than seven or eight hours at the very most. Now. The details of what happened are another story for another day, but the hike did include some rappelling down into the riverbeds, and it was after we had descended a bit into the rocky areas and pulled our ropes down behind us, we discovered that ice and fallen trees had left the hardware for the next rappel partially broken and therefore entirely unsafe. 
we couldn't go down and we couldn't go back up because we had removed our ropes, we were left to find a new route. And it was a route that ended up taking us far afield from where we were supposed to be. So when we didn't show up as planned and a few park rangers came looking for us, we were nowhere to be found. Furthermore, we hadn't planned on staying out nearly as long as we were, so we quickly became tired and hungry and cold. And after the sunset, we were still out in the wilderness, and that's when I finally let myself think, this could get bad. Luckily, after we stopped to rest for a short while, we accidentally, very literally accidentally, wandered our way onto an entirely different trail. It wasn't the one we were looking for, but it was one that led us back to humanity. I remember eventually seeing cars parked at a trailhead, and I remember hearing the ranger that we checked in with radio to another ranger saying, they're found, they're okay. And I remember thinking that no words had ever sounded quite so beautiful or poetic as those words did that day. Because being lost is frightening. And being lost can be dangerous. And there's more than one way to be lost. At the start of every school year, even this unpredictable school year, I find myself remembering a story that Glennon Doyle, an author and an activist, wrote about years ago. She relays the story of attempting to help her fifth grade son with his math homework. Now the story ends with Glennon being the one in the teacher's office learning long division because she had to learn it before she could help her son. And after the teacher had helped the parent learn the lesson, they were sitting in child-sized desks near each other, and they talked about how some of the most important things that are learned in a classroom have relatively little to do with math or history or spelling. It was then that the teacher told Glennon about her Friday afternoon practice. Every Friday afternoon, that teacher would ask her students to write down the names of four classmates they wanted to sit near the following week. Now, her students knew their requests might be honored, but they might not be. They wrote down the names on a piece of paper and submitted them individually to her. And every Friday afternoon, after the students would go home, the teacher would take out those pieces of paper and spread them out and study them and look for patterns. She would look to see who wasn't being requested by anyone. She would look to see who didn't even know which four names to write down. She was paying attention to who never got nominated or who had a dozen friends last week and none this week. The teacher was never actually looking for a new seating chart. She was looking for the lonely students. She was searching for the ones who were struggling to connect with others. She was identifying the ones who were somehow falling through the cracks of the class community. She was discovering whose gifts were going unnoticed by their peers. She was watching to see who was being bullied and who might be doing the bullying. The teacher 
was searching for the students who were lost. Because being lost can be frightening. And being lost can be dangerous. And there's more than one way to be lost. I think that's why Jesus tells us about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost family. Now, the way that I've usually heard these stories interpreted, we are the wandering sheep and we are the absent coin and we are the headstrong younger brother, all lost and eventually all found. But Emmy Kegler, she shifts this for me, pointing out something that is at once incredibly obvious and about which I'd been incredibly oblivious. Kegler, she says, yes, sheep roam, and yes, children and siblings make hasty decisions, but coins? Coins are inanimate objects. They have value, but they have no ability whatsoever to control what happens to them. Coins, they can't get lost by themselves. They can't roll away on their own. If a coin gets lost, it's because its owner isn't careful. It's because whoever was in charge was wasteful or absent-minded. If a coin gets lost, it's because it's lost its shine, because dirt and rust has started to cling to it, because without careful attention, a coin turns a color that's indistinguishable from dust and mess. In other words, when it comes to the coin, it's not the coin's fault in the slightest that it is lost. Now, to read one of this series of stories differently invites us to read the other stories differently, too. So that lost sheep, yes, sheep wander. It's in their nature. They were made that way. Most herd animals are. That's why shepherds exist, because sheep are, like that old hymn goes, prone to wander and prone to leave the one they love. And as Kegler points out, most of the time, sheep wander for a good reason. Sheep wander because they're hungry. If the field they've been brought to isn't fertile enough, or if there isn't enough good water or enough green grass, it's not about sheep being rebellious or sinful or stubborn. It's about the pangs that you get in your side when you need more than you're being given. And sheep wander if they are sick or injured or older, if they're exhausted from the heat or tired from the walk, they drop to the back of the herd or maybe they lie down for just a moment to rest. And if the herd moves forward without them, it's not so much that the sheep is wandering so much as it is left behind. And of course, sometimes sheep run because a hundred sheep, 100 sheep are 100 potential meals for predators that walk on the very same land. And on occasion, a sheep has to flee as fast as its hooves can carry it. And sometimes getting lost is simply the cost of staying alive. We all know something about wandering, don't we? 
Haven't we all at one time or another tried to find something that would fill us or somewhere safe to rest or someone to protect us from a world that seems intent upon devouring us? As for the story of the lost family, there are questions that scripture doesn't address. After all, why does the younger son want to leave? What caused this sort of fracture? Why does the father agree to give him the money? And does the father ever come to regret that decision? Does the father ever wish he had done something differently? Kegler says, I like the image of the father pacing the edge of his land, wrinkled hand shielding aging eyes, peering off into the distance where he last saw his second son. He didn't go after him, but maybe he never stopped looking for him. Maybe while the son misspent his money, the father was regretting misspending his time. Maybe when the son was starving for food, the father was starving for reconciliation. Maybe if there was something wrong enough to make the son leave, there was something right enough in the leaving to make the father change. Maybe there was transformation for them both. Sometimes the responsibility for our being lost rests squarely on our own shoulders. And other times the responsibility for our being lost is shared among many, sometimes even an entire society. Now remember, as I said last week, the thing about parables is that ultimately parables don't teach us about ourselves. Ultimately, parables teach us about God. Parables reveal to us insights about the nature and character of God. Which is why I think that the good news only grows the more questions we ask about these stories. The good news only grows the more angles that potentially emerge. The good news only grows when there are more interpretations that we consider, even if they are interpretations that make us a little uncomfortable. Because no matter the setup, no matter the circumstance, no matter how many ways the story, no matter how many ways your story twists and turns, the end of every one of these parables is always the same. The sheep is found. The coin is found. The family, from the younger brother to the older brother to the father, all of them, they are found. Not a single one of these stories ends until what was lost has been found. So whether you feel lost because of something you have done, or whether you feel lost because of the way the world has treated you, no matter what, no matter how you were lost, or why you were lost, or when you were lost, no matter what, Scripture promises you will be found. You are being found right now 
because you are never outside the reach of God's love because God's love will simply never leave you alone. Thank you.